If you listen to the Barra Media Podcast Network, then you've probably heard of the company United Harvest. But I don't think you've heard of their subscription base. That's right. You can subscribe to buy meat. Go to unitedharvest.com. Look at their curated boxes. They already have boxes put together that you can subscribe to monthly if you want. Just get boxes of meat shipped to your door monthly. And it's like dinner forever. It's dinner for a month, 30 days. I don't know. It's a lot of meat. Check it out. Go to unitedharvest.com. Go to their curated boxes. Subscribe. Subscribe to meat like you subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the meat. Unitedharvest.com. If you go and go to the curated boxes, go to checkout, type in friends15 for 15% off your first order. Unitedharvest.com. Check it out. This is the show with Cannon Brown. Someone once told me you're, you're friends with the people in high school that you're friends with because you, you're kind of forced to. You, you have to be friends with those folks. And then when you get to college and, and you join a, a judging team or you do something, an extracurricular activity where you're part of a group of people that have similar interests, then you really get to develop relationships that will last a lifetime. That last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another week of the show. I'm your host, Cannon Brown, and I'm the worst podcast host ever. I don't think I'm the worst, but it's been like three weeks since I've posted an episode. I've been sitting on this one for a little while. It's Marcus Arnold. He's an incredible human being. Coached at Butler for a couple years while I was in junior college at Casper. He's maintained the dynasty that has been Butler for like 15 years incredible dude. We have a great conversation about junior college, collegiate livestock judging. Uh, We talk about where he is now. We talk about the whole process, okay? But I want to explain to you guys why I haven't released an episode. It's not because uh, I don't want to push anything out to you guys. I have been very busy. In in December, the middle of December, I went on a road trip for 14 days with Jake Richardson, Sam Burmeister, and and my friend Joseph Fickett, and we went on a video series. We I rented a bunch of nice camera equipment, and I picked out eight random families from Iowa to Oklahoma, and we went to their place for half a day or a day or a couple days, depending on the family, and we just documented why they do what they do, what keeps them passionate, what keeps them involved, and I think we got some really good stuff. So I'm going to be producing that video series very soon and it should be out end of January begin of, beginning of February which I think is going to be awesome because the only thing we have out there like that can entice people to show livestock is like really crappy 90s videos just just bad like throwing feed like feed over into like a a black 10 feeder in the back 40 I mean I, we really wanted to make it kind of modern Uh, And I think it is. I think it's going to look really cool. And we had a lot of fun doing it. But it was a 14-day road trip. We covered 5,000 miles. Put a lot of miles on Jake Richardson's truck. Shout out Jake Richardson for letting us use his rig. Shout out. Right there. I got him an oil change. Um, It'll be fine. Um, But yeah, I'm excited to release that to you guys. And I I hope you guys enjoy it. We covered a lot of miles. Met a lot of families but it's going to be well worth it. So that's why I haven't been releasing episodes. I've just, I just got home right before Christmas. 
went on a ski trip. My girlfriend shattered her wrist. It's been a it's been a good deal. Okay, it's been a wild like three or four weeks, but I'm back, and I'm back with Marcus Arnold, which is a good guy to come back on, and I'm proud of it. Honestly, I am. I hope you guys enjoy it. Be looking out for little teasers of the video series. I'm going to be posting those on social media. I'm My New Year's resolution is to be better on social media, guys. Guess what? Guess what? Um, I hope I don't fail, okay? Push me to do it. You know what? Send me encouraging messages, okay? If you listen. That's enough of me talking. Let's do it, Mr. Marcus Arnold. You're safer here than any place else. Now just lock yourself in and keep quiet. Well, Marcus, let's let's get this thing started. We've been talking for eight minutes here now. <laughs> no one's gonna yeah. hear. No one's gonna hear what we just talked about for eight minutes because we were having connection uh, problems. But here we are now. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Thank uh, thank goodness. We're primed up and ready to go for for this podcast, though. I think. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm I'm excited about it. Um, now, Marcus, this is one that I've been waiting for for a while, um, and I, I just recently reached out to you, but everyone has just been like, you need to get Marcus Arnold on. You need to get Marcus Arnold on, and I'm like, okay, it's it's about finally time. I'm going to reach out to him. I'm happy that you said yes because I think we can dig a lot into um, junior college judging in this episode, sure. um, and just tell everybody your life. I mean, that's kind of how I run these deals. So like, I, I want to expose everybody to your past and especially um, what you've done in terms of the junior college judging and senior college judging as well. Okay. So thanks again for being on before we dig too deep into this. Um, I just appreciate you taking time out of your day. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Cannon. Really, uh, really excited to be here and I don't uh, don't know, you know, who all was uh, was recommending me to for you to interview me, but uh, excited that there is, you know, a fan base, maybe small, but uh, glad that uh, was recommended and excited to get to visit with you here today. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna lob you an easy question right off the sure. bat. Who is um, the best senior college judging coach? The goat. <laughs> Oh man, that, uh, that's a tough one, you know, and, and there's been a lot of turnover in the coaching ranks, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably a little bit biased. Uh, I, I was fortunate to get to judge there at Texas tech for, for Dr. Ryan Rathman. And, uh, you know, I, his record speaks for itself, but, uh, getting to know him on a personal level and, and getting to see what he does, um, with students that are part of his program, I, I think is truly unparalleled. And so, you know, he's kind of back at retirement after uh, a few assistants had kind of come and gone. I know, uh, John DeClerc had, had moved on to, to industry. And so Ryan had kind of been, um, I guess pulled back into, uh, more involvement with the team, I think this year, but, um, yeah, I think he's probably one of the best, if not the best, but, um, it, it's hard to argue, you know, a case to be made for, for Chris Mullenix as well. It's pretty impressive that the, the run that they just had and, and winning the national championship there in Louisville. And, uh, you know, I think those are, are two that probably stand out to me, but two that I probably have the most connection with. So there's probably some bias with both of those. Well, it says something about, um, yeah, kind of your past and your upbringing. Cause you worked with both of those guys and you're probably right. Those are the two guys in contention right now for the go, but I, I, I gotta agree with you. I mean, Rathman, Dr. Ryan Rathman, I mean, he, he's the go of, of senior college coaching. I actually just had, um, 
Cassidy Hayes on last episode. Um, and we kind of had this conversation a little bit. And one thing that came up was you can talk a lot about, about you can talk a lot about uh, senior college coaches and junior college coaches, but it was, it, it'd be hard to actually pick out like a best uh, judger, I would think, right? Over the oh, years, I, it changes. Yeah, I think that would be nearly impossible. Yeah, that would be <laughs> that, that would be tough. Yeah, that would. I mean, and I said the same thing. I mean, I I just feel like every year the situation is so different in terms of the teams and how contests are laid out, and maybe uh, especially like this past year with COVID. I mean, it, no one saw that coming. So there's just no. It, it would be hard to pick out like, and I know every year it's like oh, this kid's real good, like he might be the best or she might be the best. Um, but it, it would be hard to pick out one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, a, you know, a lot of good stock kids every year and kids that, uh, you know, will, will, will get out and get the opportunity to judge a lot of shows. And I don't think that defines, you know, their success in the collegiate judging ranks, you know, with what they'll go on to do thereafter. But I think there's a lot of luck. And I used to tell students this as I coached, there's a lot of luck that goes into winning a contest. But I think the more important thing, as you look at an, an individual's contribution, to whether it be a team or if you're looking at, you know, them and the entirety of their career would be the consistency that they had. For sure. Yeah, I know when I was judging, uh, one of your judges, Jesse Judge, I, I could have sworn she was going to be the best one. I was like, can't beat her. They yeah. can't, can't do anything to get past her. Yeah, she she was highly, highly talented. Uh, maybe one of the, the best students that I that I had the opportunity to coach. Um, yep. She, uh, was, was really smart, had a great eye still. Um, I think as somebody that, um, in the reasons room was probably one of the most unique students and how she was able to tie things together, just, uh, extremely cre um, creative. Um, yeah, she, uh, she had a really good judging career and, uh, was very fortunate that, uh, was able to get her and recruit her to Butler at the time and, uh, fortunate to coach her. Now, when when somebody with that kind of talent comes into your program that you've been recruiting on, do, do, do they come in with that talent and you try to switch it around, or, or what is your what's your kind of go around when they're when somebody's coming in with so much experience already, but you still want to be their coach and teach them your way? You, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm phrasing yeah. it right. No, I think that's a fair question. I mean, it's no different than maybe what senior college coaches deal with, you know, as they take on junior college transfers. Um, they come in with some uh, skill set already acquired. They have some tendencies that, uh, you know, good and bad. But, you know, my thought was try to go out and try to recruit the best students that I possibly could. And uh, a lot of times those students came in with uh, a lot of talent. Sometimes those students, you know, may have had little to no experience, but had uh, a show background or livestock background um, in combination with being highly intelligent that would uh, allow them to be really coachable. And so, you know, my approach to, to working with those students, Cannon, was to, um, you know, see kind of where they were, not to, you know, redevelop will or, or change things. I think each person learns and thinks through things entirely different. And I think that's the fun part of being a coach is, is not trying to develop a cookie cutter model for each student is more so embracing each person's individual skill set and allowing them to grow within their own capabilities. Yeah, that's a good way to go about it. I mean, you, you got to let them do their own thing for sure. 
Um, you can't hold them back at all. But yeah, you're right. It is kind of like the transition between junior college to senior college because those and we I I feel like uh, we talked about this with Cassidy too. It was just um, it's kind of like those kids coming into senior college from junior college have an an already set. Um, kind of deal in their mind of how to go into a contest, how to go into a room. And now they're, there's going to be another coach telling them how to do this, telling them how to do that. And maybe they don't want to do that. Or, or maybe they think that they're better than the guy next to them or the girl next to them. I mean, there's a lot of ego in this deal as well that you got to <laughs> finagle. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, just people naturally go to and, and navigate to what's comfortable for them. And so for a student that's been trained one way for, you know, their entire life or, or junior college student that's been trained a certain way for, for two years, you know, they naturally revert back to their, their what's comfortable for them and, and try to stay within their comfort zone. And really where that student, and I think about my time, they're judging with Rathman, you know, he really pushed me to step outside my comfort zone and uh, to try some things that I may not have done or may not have been as comfortable with, you know, from a reason standpoint. And I think because of that, I, I pushed myself outside my comfort zone. And then when I finally pushed past that barrier, I found like I was experiencing more success because of it. And I was learning more as well. And so I think people naturally revert back to that. But then as they, you know, get familiar, more familiar with a new coach or a new system, they start to make those changes. They step outside of their uh, level of comfortability or their comfort zone, if you will. And, you know, naturally they, they start to adopt a different style or different philosophy. Yeah. When do you think that comfort comes in? When, when do you think, can, can you see it as a judging coach in a kid that's like, can you see the click where they're like, okay, I'm comfortable now. I can go in the reasons room and, and add this uniqueness, add this flair. Can you see that as a coach? You know, each, each student, um, Canon was probably a little bit different. Um, you know, some of the better students or, or some of the best students that I had the opportunity to coach. I think of one example with one young lady on uh, my very first team there at Butler. She came in with no judging experience in high school and uh, was someone that, I mean, just really, really um, competitive. She was really smart, really driven, and uh, somebody that uh, wanted to mark cards. We go through the fall of her uh, sophomore semester, and uh, you could tell that she wasn't quite ready. You know, she was always close. She marking cards leading up to a contest. She may have been, you know, the fifth or sixth man or sometimes could have jumped up and been the third person. But, you know, developmentally, her reasons weren't quite there from a confidence standpoint. I didn't feel like she was quite there. And then it wasn't until our Denver trip we were – I guess two days from the contest and uh, we were going out. I remember we judged, I think five or six uh, um, classes of uh, Lemmy heifers. And um, you know, she was marking cards like she had been the whole year, just extremely steady, extremely consistent. And then the day before the contest, we were going through given, I don't know, six or eight sets of, of reasons the day before just a, a walkthrough. And man, it was just entirely different. It's just like she figured it out. The light came on and she had an abundance of confidence. And I told her about set number four. I said, I'm going to run you. And um, I did that next day. And she was in the top 10 and had the best uh, day in her judging career. But then, you know, thereafter, she was never out of the top 10 or top 15. And so I think each person is, is a little bit different. Um, of when they turn it on. But, you know, as a coach working with those students, you know, it sometimes was easy to tell in situations like that. There's been times where, where it's been a little harder. You think some going into a contest or 
are, are turning in cards or, you know, doing extremely well. There's no way that uh, they're going to have a bad day. And then w- for whatever reason, you know, they just have a hiccup and then they just uh, kind of fall apart. So, and there's both sides to that question, but I think some more, more cases than none, it's easier to, to tell those. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's that gal's name? Give her a shout out. Well, I don't, uh, you don't want I don't to know it. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't know that I want to embarrass her, but uh, uh, I no. just. That was a great story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, That's Allison right. Manchester. Nope, Allison okay. Manchester. Yep, I'll I'll give her a shout out. Allison Manchester from uh, from Indiana. Yep, nice. she. Uh, yep, very talented young lady. Yeah, shout out. I think that deserves a shout out, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this judging it. I mean, it's not something that just clicks. We're gonna get into your story here in a minute, but at least for me, it was something that I had to work at for a long time. And I say this all the time on here. Now that I think about judging collegiately, I never real, I never figured out like the game. I ne, I never really figured it out. And I think, I, I mean, I judge a couple shows now here and there, um, but in terms of judging contests, I could get by and, and do okay, but I was never in top 10 really at any national contest, but just cause I just couldn't figure it out. And you know, the way that you worded that can, and you couldn't figure out the game, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And, and as a coach and someone that would try to, to teach students and, and train students, you know, the skill set of, of livestock and animal evaluation, you know, you, you know that there are some parallels to what they're going to go out and maybe do as they go out and judge a show or what they might do in the industry in, in regards to an occupation. But, you know, the, the competition aspect of it is entirely different. And, and judging a show, I think, is entirely different than what young people are exposed to. And in a lot of cases, the way you phrased it, you know, learning the game, I, I think in a lot of ways, it really is a game and, and just finding a way to, to be competitive and knowing what you have to do to, to ultimately win the game. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, and but I mean, I look back at it now and I'm I'm good with it. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. I, I enjoyed my time and uh, judging collegiately um, uh, the junior college that I did. And I I had fun. It, it was, I'm OK looking back at it now, honestly. Um, but it's it's good to hear you say that as a coach, honestly. <laughs> Sure, sure. Well, I think there's probably a lot uh, of other things that you took away from it as well. You know, I think a lot of the relationships, uh, I think that's the by far and away from a networking standpoint, probably have done more for me. And I bet it's similar to you and your situation. It's probably been the the biggest thing and the biggest takeaway. Um, And and there's a lot of speaking um, and professional things that you take away from it. But I really think the networking and the people that you meet um, are probably the biggest thing that you take away from that, that entire experience. Oh, 100%. I think livestock judging isn't even the main deal of it. I mean, it's, it's all the other little things you get out of it, the relationships, the connections, uh, the trips, those, those 15 passenger trips that you like, those, those are your best friends. And like oh, you, you spend every day with those guys, practice, like lived with them most of the time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm a still, good time. those were, those were my best friends in college. And, uh, you know, I, someone once told me you're, you're friends with the people in high school, 
that you're friends with because you, you're kind of forced to, you, you have to be friends with those folks. And then when you get to college and, and you join a, a judging team or you do something, an extracurricular activity where you're part of a group of people that have similar interests, then you really get to develop relationships that'll last a lifetime. And, and it's true. I mean, the, the friends that I had in college, those are the friends that uh, I text with on a regular basis. You know, we're in fantasy football leagues together. We, we talk about, you know, the kids, what's going on with their families. And, and those are the relationships that, uh, that'll last a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And your, um, your relationship with livestock judging just in general is a long background. I mean, and a different background from most people because most people don't go into the first judging contest ever and win it. I, I don't think I've heard that many times. You know, I was, uh, I, I think a combination of two things, extremely, extremely lucky and uh, extremely fortunate, uh, I guess, first of all, there, Cannon, that uh, I had a dad that was an ag teacher. And so he, he was continuously training um, livestock judging teams. And as he was doing so, he would take teams over. We didn't live too far from Clarendon College, about an hour away. And so um, my dad would take advantage of uh, Jerry Hawkins, the coach there at the time. And we would go down to Clarendon. And my dad would work out with the judging teams there at Clarendon for a long time. And um, as we were there, I mean, basically Jerry Hawkins took me and um, I, I tell people he was kind of an adopted uh, stepdad really for me in a lot of ways or grandpa, because I mean, that, he took me under his wing and I learned a lot from him as my dad was training teams, but he, he did a lot for my dad in helping prepare teams um, that my dad was, was coaching there with his FFA students. And then I took a lot away from it, but yeah, my, my first contest was a contest there at Clarendon. And uh, at the time it wasn't an indoor facility. It was an outdoor contest and it was down below this big hill and you had to walk down this hill probably a quarter of a mile to get down there where the animals were set up, but it was all outside. And so, you know, weather permitting, you know, it, um, a lot of cases could be a good day or a bad day. Well, the first contest that I judged in, they, they had a blizzard blowing through or for me, it seemed like a blizzard at, you know, eight or nine years old. Oh, and, uh, and my dad said, I, he bundled me up and I was in coveralls and a big, you know, Carhartt jacket. And I had tons of hoodies and gloves on. And he said, whatever you do, don't be like a lot of little kids and don't run up back up here to the building. And he said, I want you to stay out here. And he said, if you do so, I think you'll get along and have a good day. And so I go down and, uh, you know, a couple classes in, it's snowing. You could barely see the animals. The wind's blowing a million miles an hour there on that hill. And um, yeah, these kids are running back up. But I remember my dad saying, you know, don't don't leave, don't run away. And so as we finished up the contest, we, we get up there and I said, Dad, um, I think it was I think it was fun. I had a good time. And he said, well, how'd you do? I said, I don't know. And he kind of got looking through it. And as they were, you know, given the critique and the officials, I ended up dropping four points and having two pair switches that day. And uh, Jerry comes, Jerry Hawkins, the coach there at Clarendon at the time, he comes up and says, Marcus, I actually think you may have got those those classes right. He said, I'm not sure that you didn't have a perfect day. And so, you know, from from that moment on, I was hooked. I mean, I I, I look at that experience and, and I'm so fortunate and so blessed to have, you know, obviously my dad to, to be a big mentor, but uh, Jerry Hawkins to be a big influence in my life to to get me involved and, and passionate about the, the world of livestock judging. That's got to get you pumped up having a junior college coach tell you that when you're eight or nine years old I mean I don't even know if you would even did you even understand what that meant at the time that you were gonna no be like, oh, not yeah. a, no. <laughs> did you even know you could go to college for that stuff <laughs> no not a clue not then nope I was just a little kid out enjoying looking at animals I didn't I didn't know what it meant at the time yeah that's pretty crazy though but like I like I said I mean 
I definitely didn't go into my first contest and drop four points. It, mine also wasn't in a blizzard, but so you got me beat <laughs> there too. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, I like I said, I think there was a lot of luck to that as well. But yeah, it uh, it was uh, it was an awesome experience and it makes for an awesome story. Now I've got a question for you. Where'd your uh, Texan Texas accent go? Um, you know, I've <laughs> I get that a lot. Um, I worked on a lot of speaking things when I was younger with my dad, and I don't know that uh, you know everybody in my family has one. Um, I don't know that I ever did, and uh, I don't know if it's been living outside of the state of Texas. You know, after um, I went to school there at Tech, I went to Colorado State, spent some time there in Colorado, was in Kansas for a few years, and now here in Iowa for a few years. So I don't know if it's been uh, more of the the Midwest uh, that's rubbing up on me. I, I don't know that that's the case. I just don't know that I've ever had much of an accent to begin with. Interesting. I think it's the Midwest rubbing out on you. Man, I know my Texas friends would uh, would would like to say no. I, I hope that's not the case, but uh, man, I can't uh, can't speak bad to the Midwest. It's treated me really well, and there's a lot of great people up here. There are there is, there's a bunch of great people up there, and you're in a great spot too. You're you're in the middle of it, quite literally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep, right outside of Des Moines here, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of of things going on in the animal agriculture world, and so yeah, blessed to be where we're at. Now, when you were showing livestock, uh, you showed pigs and cattle. Which uh, which one was your favorite? Yeah, um, you know, my, my sister and I, we both showed. I mean, having a dad as an ag teacher, it was pretty inevitable that we were going to show. So we started showing. I, my, the first picture that I uh, go back, I, I think I was probably four or five years old. Um, first pig that I ever showed, it's a picture hanging up in my grandma's house. But um I, I probably leaned more towards the, the cattle side and, and had more of a passion for the, the cattle side of it. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed both of it. But, you know, I had a sister that was really involved with it and she really was into the pigs. So I kind of took passion on, on the cattle and we both did them together. But um, that's kind of where we both naturally went, you know, more times when we had animals showing at the same same time, the same show, I would uh, make my way to the cattle barn to, to manage things there. And my sister would go to the pig barn to to manage things on on that side of it just a easy easy split for you guys easy transition yeah i don't know that it was an easy transition because my sister liked showing cattle okay. um I, I enjoyed showing pigs too so i mean we both had a passion for for both species and um i, I don't know that it was a split but when we had to split up and go one way that's kind of the way we both um we both win yeah and when you when you were kind of coming up showing livestock and then old enough to realize, Hey, maybe I can go to college for judging livestock. Um, that transition into Clarendon was probably where, I mean, were you looking at anything else? I know you have that background with Clarendon. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> since I won that first contest, Jerry always said, he said, you know, you're going to come judge livestock here at, uh, at Clarendon college. And, you know, I, I just kind of always familiar with that. I kind of always thought that that's what I was going to do. Um, I had a lot of opportunities and a lot of offers, you know, was fortunate to get to meet a lot of um, really good coaches at the time that um, wanted me to be part of their programs. And so I explored different places. And, and that's one thing as I was recruiting students that I always encouraged them to do is, is to go find a place and, and find a coach that they're the most comfortable with and familiar with and go explore their options. You know, they don't, 
know necessarily what they want to do um, or what's going to be the most comfortable or natural fit until they go explore what opportunities are all out there. And so that was one thing that I tried to do as I was coaching um, students. But as I, I went back and I reflect back to that time in my life, you know, we, we grew up and we, we showed a lot of livestock. I think one year my sister and I had 30 show pigs on feed. We had, I think, six steers and three or four heifers. And so we were all over the place showing and we went to every major show that we possibly could. We weren't the most successful show family and we were working on, you know, somewhat of a limited budget. And um, I tell people all the time, if they want to be competitive in something, it, it doesn't equate to the amount of money that you spend into it. It's more of your attitude and uh, the time and work that you put in and devote into that project because there were a lot of times where we didn't have the most money to, to go out and spend, but we were very fortunate. And our goal, and I tell people all the time, is to, to set goals for yourself. We, we, our goal showing and growing up was, you know, not to go win a breed or, or to win a show. If those things happened, I mean, there was a lot of luck that was probably involved with some of that. Our goal was to try to go out um, and as competitive as the, the Texas majors are, was just to, to, you know, win, um, win a class or to try to, uh, to be in a sales spot. And if we did that, we were going to have some success, but, you know, through those showing experiences and judging experiences, um, got to network and meet a lot of coaches. Um, you know, one of which that had a big influence later in life. And I'm sure we'll get to this a little bit later, but, you know, it was Dr. Brett Kaysen, who was, uh, coaching at Colorado state at the time and uh, would always swing through um, working out uh, on pigs as he would make his way down to Fort Worth with that judging team. But was fortunate to get to meet a lot uh, of coaches and have a lot of opportunities. But what I'll tell you, Cannon, is I, I probably didn't want – I knew I was going to go judge maybe, but that wasn't the, the main thing on my mind when I was in high school. Um, I was a, a district officer and an area officer there um, in – in our area and in our district. And I really had a big vision of being a state FFA officer. And that was probably priority number one as I was getting ready to finish up school. And uh, that was probably the thing that I had top of mind as I was a senior in high school. And judging was probably the, the second part to that. Um, get to the area convention and um, I end up getting beat for the, uh, the nomination to be a state officer. You know, at the time I was really upset about it because I, I had a dream of it. I think I'd gone to every state convention with my dad since I was, you know, a baby and I didn't miss a single one growing up. So that's something that I was really passionate about and uh, was a big goal of mine, but I didn't accomplish it. And so I was pretty tore up about it at the time, but it really opened up the door and, and made my path into the livestock judging world even more clear than it already was. And so when I stepped through and, and kind of visited a lot of schools, um, was fortunate to, to get to, you know, develop a good relationship there with uh, Johnny Trichel, who's still the coach there at Clarendon. And um, yeah, I decided that's where I wanted to continue or start my, my collegiate career and, and my education there at Clarendon. And so um, was there for two years um, before making the, the, you know, decision to go to, to Texas Tech. What a story, honestly. I mean, I, I had some aspirations of being a state officer as well at one point. I, I mean, I loved FFA. I, it, I wouldn't be where I am today without it. Um, I ended up not running just because I, I decided to go to JUCO right off the bat. Um, but gosh dang, I mean, that had to be uh, a huge setback, especially in Texas. I mean, you guys, I know we like FFA everywhere and, and in Arizona too, but Texas FFA is a little different than everybody else. I mean, it's big, way too big, it seems like. 
Um, so, so, I mean, I, I would have to imagine that that was a huge setback and, and the fact that you were just able to kind of sit back. I mean, at the time you probably weren't able, but now you can kind of sit back and realize, Hey, it was probably for the better. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a very religious home and, uh, was, was fortunate, you know, to, to get a lot of experiences to go do some really neat things, you know, with the church and the community there. But as I look back on that, and I've always believed this canon that, uh, the good Lord, um, opens up doors and presents opportunities for you. And, you know, he closes doors and things that uh, you don't need to go down. And at the time it may not seem, you know, like it's fair or the thing that, um, is right, but, there's a bigger plan. And, uh, you know, I, I learned that at an early age and I was so fortunate to have that life experience where I could reflect back on that and realize, Hey, maybe this judging things for me, maybe I need to, you know, spend my time and energy focusing on this. And, uh, so grateful that the Lord, you know, closed one door to open up another. And, uh, as I, I talk to, to young people, you know, it's one thing that I continue to tell them is, you know, just to know that there's a bigger plan, you know, and not just young people, I think in life in general, um, I think too often we, we get narrow, narrowly focused on the thing that we want. Sometimes got to step back to realize that the, the good Lord has a bigger plan. For sure. 100, I, I 100% agree with that. I, I mean, if you didn't go to unitedharvest.com during the holidays and take advantage of their holiday deals, there's still time, guys. There's still time. It's still the beginning of January. Um, you can go there, get a good deal on some meat, invite your family over again, okay? You didn't fight enough during the holidays. Bring them over, cook some meat, bring up politics, bring up religion, bring up everything. It doesn't matter because when you're eating a Wagyu prime rib, it's a cure-all, I promise. UnitedHarvest.com today. Did you win a national championship at Tech? I did, yep. I was oh part of the... Gosh. Uh, the 2018 that won Louisville. Wow, what a what a guy! What a run you have had in your like collegiate judging career. I'm honestly yeah. impressed. Yeah, I was uh, extremely fortunate there in JUCO to uh, to be on a really successful team there, at Clarendon, and was uh, was an All American while I was there. And then uh, yeah, I was very rarely out of the top ten. And then you know I that's why I never won a contest uh, collegiately or not a, a big one, but uh, I always prided myself on the ability to kind of stay consistent and try to be, you know, top 10 or top 15. And if I could do that, I knew that I was a, a big contributor to the team and what we were trying to accomplish. And then, yeah, I was very fortunate to be on a very successful team there at Texas Tech. We um, won, I think, Houston by a pretty big margin. And then we set the all-time record there at Louisville in 2008. Wow. Now, what makes you as a, um, as a judger – look after your collegiate livestock judging career and say, you know what, I kind of want to stick with this deal. I want to coach. What, what makes you make that decision to stay and either try get your master's at Colorado state, uh, or go to WT or go to Butler. What makes you want to continue that path? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And Canon, what I'd tell you, it's probably a combination uh, of a few things. Number one, Obviously, there was a fire for it. Um, there was a, a huge passion at the time and, and something that I'm still really passionate about. But at the time, I mean, there was a, a big, big fire that, you know, I just loved the, the judging world and everything that it entailed. But I think a second component to that, too, is I just didn't quite know what I wanted to do. You know, when the, 
um, when I graduated and when reality set in that I needed to get out in the real world. And so um, it wasn't a case of delaying the inevitable, but it was an opportunity to um, continue my education, go there to Colorado State, um, work with Shane Bedwell and, and help coach the team there. Um, he had reached out to, after I finished up there at Louisville and uh, visited with me quite a bit uh, about coming and helping him with the team. And then obviously had a good relationship there with Dr. Brett Kaysen. Um He had passed on the reins to, to Shane Bedwell at the time. And um, yeah, he was still um, involved with the department. He taught a lot of classes and uh, had a good relationship with them. So those two got me really tied in to, uh, to a major professor there on the nutrition front, which I had a lot of interest in, in Dr. Terry Engle. And um, yeah, I made the, the trip out to Fort Collins and was a natural fit. And after spending some time out there with those guys, I knew that that's what I wanted to do and, and where I wanted to go. Yeah. There's a, there's one guy that if he would have stuck with a uh, senior college coaching deal, he probably would have been in the GOAT conversation, Shane Bedwell. And Brett Kaysen should probably go in that uh, GOAT talk too. I mean, he's been out of it for a little bit, so we forget about him. But if Shane would have stuck in it for a little bit longer, I think he would have been in, in talks. Yeah, I think Shane was in, in coaching with him for a few years. I know that um, it was a struggle trying to recruit kids, you know, out to Fort Collins. And, and that was one thing at the time that, um, you know, in, in maybe comparison, you know, early on um, that uh, was kind of a struggle. But the longer that he stayed there, I know that um, he was judging more national shows and big shows. I mean, he had uh, grown a pretty strong name in the cattle industry, or at least in the show industry, and um, was doing some really big things and recruiting a lot of really good kids. And, you know, I think there's a lot of support there at Colorado State for that program, and I still think there there still is. But really what, um, you know, to your point, I think if Shane had a few more years to do it, there's no question he would have experienced a lot of success um, you know, when, when bringing in the right group of talent and personnel because he's a, a brilliant uh, evaluator. I learned a lot of things that I'd taken with me onto West Texas and even Butler as I was coaching at both of those places. A lot of the things that I had uh, taken to both of those places I'd learned from Shane. And so I was extremely fortunate to get to spend a couple of years there with him. Just a, a phenomenal evaluator, um, a phenomenal person. And um, yeah, I, I promise you he'd have been in that conversation if he had been there a few more years. For sure. I think just... Um... You know, we talk about this a lot on this podcast, just like the people that you surround. And, and I know you wanted to actually talk about this. Uh, the people that you surround yourself with uh, are going to direct a lot of where you end up. And I mean, we're, we're going through your life right now. And it sounds like you're being surrounded by a lot of great people. And, and it's a, just a testament to where... I mean, what we're going to talk about coming up with your your uh, you at Butler and what you set up at Butler still, um, but I know you wanted to talk about this, so maybe if you could speak on it just a little bit. I know we're kind of getting zigzagged, but just the importance no. of surrounding yourself with people has to be just huge in your eyes. Absolutely, um, and I always told this uh, to judging students: you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with. And uh, as I reflected back to, you know, through my story and my life story, I, I was fortunate to have, you know, some big heroes or, or mentors in my life, you know, starting with my dad. Um, but then Jerry Hawkins, you know, I, I looked to people like Johnny Trichel, Ryan Rathman, you know, Shane Bedwell and Brett Case. And I always had a really strong mentor that 
you know, guided me, that coached me, that give, you know, gave me opportunities uh, to continue to network. But I tell students all the time, you know, all those opportunities that I had in my life were because of those people and the networking of those people. And so I, I always tried to surround myself with people that were what I thought, you know, smarter than me, better than me. And uh, inevitably it lifted up the performance of everybody else. And I use this example all the time. You know, I wasn't the smartest kid coming out of um, coming out of high school, I think I had a three, three or three, you know, four GPA, but, um, I surrounded myself with a group of teammates there at uh, Clarendon and tech. And some of my best friends, I mean, were some of the most brilliant people that I know. And those guys had 4.0s and it, and it just came naturally. It wasn't as natural for me, but I surrounded myself with those that were smarter than me. And inevitably as I did that, I didn't know what I was doing, but at the time, you know, I look back it, it was a byproduct of surrounding myself with smarter people and my grades in that, you know, inevitably went up. And uh, I think I had above a 3.5 all through college, which obviously I was working with a subject matter that uh, was obviously more familiar, you know, to me and, and had more interest in, but I think it was because I just tried to make a, a point there to surround myself with good people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there, you can't look, uh, you can't, look past that that experience of just surrounding yourself with the best people possible and i i mean i think we can all look back on our lives and just realize those people that have kind of shaped us and pushed us in ways that we didn't realize until later um but i just think it all comes down to like all the all the judging coaches that you spent time with and everything i think it really comes down to you getting that job at butler like you getting that job at butler and then just like having that empire for a little bit and then passing it down to Taylor Frank, who's still there uh, and it's still going. I think it all really comes to a head and just boom, there you go. Butler success, bingo. And you just run with it. Yeah. Yeah. I was fortunate to get that break. You know, um, Butler's a program that uh, is kind of one of the more nationally recognized junior college programs. And it has been for probably the past 30 years. Um, at the time when, when that opportunity was presented to me, I was coaching at uh, West Texas A&M and working on a PhD. And it was actually kind of, uh, again, another small world uh, working back to connections of people. But um, Jerry Hawkins had two sons, one of which was Dean Hawkins, who was the department head there at West Texas A&M. And so as I finished up with my master's there at Colorado State, was fortunate to have a good relationship there with Dean. And uh, he was doing some good things with that ag department there at, what, at WT. And uh, got to, to go there for a couple of years. And uh, it was a tough decision for me to to leave that. But I think if, if that's your interest, and, and at the time that was my passion and, and my vision to be as competitive as I possibly could in the judging world and coaching, um, you know, the opportunity came open at, uh, at Butler. And, um, yeah, I took it and kind of ran with it. Yeah, Mullenix had taken the – Mullenix was there before you at Butler, and he had taken the job at K-State, correct? Yeah, he had. So he had uh, he had accepted the job at uh, Kansas State. He was there at Butler, I think, for I don't know, fifteen plus years, and um, was was moving on. And uh, had reached out, asked if I would have any interest in the Butler role, and uh, told him that I would. So I, I put together some some of my thoughts, some of my philosophies, went and spent a little time with him, and um, yeah, was fortunate to uh, to receive that offer to go be the coach there for for a few years. It has to be nice to go into a program that's kind of already built and already tested and, and true for, I mean, that has to be pretty easy to walk into. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, with that, there's a, probably a little bit more pressure, um, but I think the the ground roots or the, the basis of what that program was built around, I mean, Chris did an awesome job setting up uh, a program that was going to be sustainable, a program that um, had good relations with um, the administration. It had good rapport with other faculty members and a program that um, had a lot of alumni support. And because of those three things, I think that program was built, you know, it, it didn't matter if I was going to be the next person in or, or who that next person in, the Butler program was still going to continue to be successful. And so Chris did an awesome job kind of laying the groundwork for continued success within that program. And then you passing on the torch, how is that? I mean, I, I, I want to know your mindset in terms of um, your time spent at Butler, I mean, you guys had a heck of a run. Uh, and then you kind of passing the torch on to uh, Taylor Frank. It, and how was that experience? Was it bittersweet? Was it sweet at all? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a, you know, that's a, a good question. Um, I, I was fortunate to, to work four years there at Butler. Um, my role kind of um, entailed a little bit of everything. Um, I was the department head for a few years. Uh, I taught a lot of online classes. I taught a lot of face-to-face um, -face classes, but I think most importantly, I was the, the judging coach there for four years. Um, you know, when I started on, I think there inevitably through any coaching transition, there's a, a little bit of a transitional setback. And so, you know, we, we went out the first year and we were really competitive. I don't think that team was out of the top five all that often. And um, that, that was a group of kids that I'm fortunate elected to stay there and, and were recruited into Butler, not knowing who their coach was. They knew that Chris was going to go to K-State, but they didn't know who Marcus Arnold was. And they didn't even know at the time, you know, coming into their time there at Butler that I was going to be the coach. And so, you know, I, I compliment those kids for having the courage to know that Chris was going to do the right thing and bringing in the right person. And uh, we, we had a great time um, forever, forever grateful for that team because they really helped me get that thing started into elevating that program to another level. But um, yeah, after year number two, um, was fortunate to work with our administrators to open up a position for an assistant coach, um, worked with, um, I guess Taylor Frank knew that he was coming out of Texas tech and, um, knew him on a personal level for my time out in Colorado. He's a native of Colorado and then was there at Butler. So one thing that uh, Chris did a, a good job of was building a little bit of buffer from, me coming on, I was there before I was actually started. I came on three months just to spend a little bit of time with that team prior to me showing up and, and those kids, you know, jumping in a van with somebody, somebody that they didn't know. And uh, so I got to spend some time with Chris and, and learn a little bit about what made, you know, that program so unique. And, you know, through that transition, I, I learned probably um, as much, if not more about that program than I'd ever learned. And so yeah, I'm so grateful for Chris um, for kind of taking me under his wing and, and teaching me for that uh, last couple months that he was there in the first few months that I started. But it made that transition pretty seamless. And I, I wasn't that wasn't my intent when I brought Taylor on, you know, at the time I, I was setting up that position to be kind of a two year rotation to allow someone to work on a, a, a graduate degree and help, you know, the judging program. And so um, that, that position was really set up to be an assistant coach position, you know, two to three years, and then have a reoccurring um, group of students that um, could work through, you know, uh, of students that I had coached to pull back and to be assistants. I didn't even think that I was going to leave Butler. That wasn't even, you know, on my radar at the time when I brought Taylor on. But 
um, was fortunate to bring, you know, him on. And, um, you know, we, we had, um, worked really closely there together for two years. And so as I got the opportunity to go to Zoetis, um, I, I kind of knew that it, the timing of it was right. And I, I knew that it was okay to probably step away because of similar situation. Taylor and I worked together for two years and, um, he knew the program, knew the students that we were recruiting into the program. Um, and, and I think people, the students that we were recruiting, as I made that transition out and Taylor was stepping in, we didn't lose a single recruit that year. I remember making each of those calls to each of those students. And uh, the last team that I would have recruited there to Butler or would have had any influence into recruiting at Butler, um, they would have finished up their career here um, judging at Louisville. And so a lot of those kids, you know, um, bought into the idea that the program was going to be equally as good, if not better, that I was going to leave it in good hands. And so it was more of a, an approach and a philosophy of trying to make the program better and leave it in a better place than, you know, where, where I was when I got there. Yeah. Well, I think you did. And I mean, you did, you got, how many times did you get coach of the year? Um, I was just, uh, for, yeah, just fortunate enough to, to get it the, the last year that I was there. So okay. the, the 16, 17 team. Yep. Um, we were really close. I think the, the second year and the third year that I was there, but, um, yeah, I think that, uh, I got it my last year and then I think Taylor had got it, uh, the two years um, after I'd left. Yeah. yeah. So his first two years through that transition, he would have um, gotten coach of the year. So when are you going back? <laughs> to uh, to coaching? <laughs> yeah, senior college. Oh, man. I've, uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. I, I don't uh, don't know that that'll happen, you know. Um, different place in my life. And, yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think, you know, for, for each people, I mean, those that do it for a lifetime are extremely rare. You know, you look at the, the Chris Molnexes, you look at the Dan Hoags, those guys that uh, do it for a lifetime um, are pretty rare. Um, you know, the Johnny Trichols, the Jeremy Burkitts, those guys that you and I know that do it for a lifetime. I mean, it, it definitely takes its toll um, on a person and it's definitely a young person's game. And, you know, for some people, they, they know that going into it. I didn't know it, but um, was fortunate to give be given some opportunities in the industry. And, you know, I, I guess through networking and connections that I'd made every year that I was at Butler, I had a job opportunity presented to me and I never felt like it was right. I wasn't even interested at the time. But because of connections that I'd made with Brett Kaysen, who was at Zoetis at the time, and he was looking for a feed specialist, it kind of aligned with some things that I was wanting to do maybe outside of the world of education. And it just got to a point for me, honestly, Cannon, there at Butler, where, I mean, I, I was getting maybe stretched a little bit thinner than I probably was wanting, um, taking on the role of the department head, teaching classes, and um, working with a, a couple of the other um, extracurricular groups. I mean, I, I think I was most normal faculty members have a, an appointment of 15 hours, you know, a semester. And I was pretty close to, to 28 or 30 a semester. And so I was at a point in my life where I was uh, not getting burnout, but that was wearing on me a little bit and uh, was in a point in a relationship with uh, a young lady at the time who became my wife, where um, was ready to, to let that kind of take over. Um, and um, yeah, we wanted to make sure that, or I wanted to make sure that I gave that uh, full opportunity for it to be successful and give that a uh, chance to, to make it work. And, and we did. We both moved up to Iowa when I started the, the role with Zoetis. And she she quit working at Oklahoma State. Um, she worked there 
um, for a couple of years while she was working on her business full time. And so when Paige started her business full time, um, we moved up here to Iowa and um, she started her um, full time photography and videography business. And then I started my my role with Zoetis. And so it gave us a chance to kind of step into a different phase of life together which um, for, for our life and our marriage has proven to be really successful. And I'm glad that uh, made that transition. But most importantly, I'm really glad that the transition had worked for Taylor and the Butler programs still continuing to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, you needed a change. I mean, when you told me that they put you or that you had the department head job too, I mean, after two years of working there, that had to be a lot of weight on your shoulders. Uh, and I know, I mean, that still has to be a new program after two years in terms of being the department head. Uh, I feel like that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it really is. Um, you know, the, a bunch all the administrative stuff, you know, the, the meetings that you have to go to uh, a bunch of those type of things. I was, I was wanting to hop in the van with the team and, and go coach and, you know, I was glad that Taylor could take over, listen to reasons while I was having to maybe do some of those other things. And I'm not saying that um, it was impossible. I, I think the role of the department head is a little bit different, maybe in a junior co- junior college setting than it is probably at a senior college. But, um, you know, obviously it was still um, a, a lot of just busy work, a lot of activity that um, was occupying a lot of my time. Yeah, definitely. No, but... Uh, you, you move on down the road to uh, Iowa, get a job at Zoetis, um, and kind of do like you pulled the Brett Kaysen at Zoetis because he only spent like two or three years there. And then it was like, all right, I'm, I'm leaving too. <laughs> yeah, well, I, and that wasn't even the plan at the time either. You know, it, it was because, and again, can't stress and, and overemphasize this enough, but the, the networking of people in this livestock industry is so critical and so important. Um, you know, through my relationship with uh, with Brett Kaysen, um, like I said, he was the business director there at Zoetis and uh, had an opening for a, a feed specialist role. And so he brought me on um, after, I think, a year and a half. He had stepped away uh, to take on uh, another role uh, of other interest, which oddly at the time brought him to Iowa, which moved him, I think, uh, 10 miles from where I live now. So we're, we're basically neighbors, as I've told you before. But um, yeah, I got to work with Brett and I mean, Brett's just an awesome guy. He's one of those people that, um, highly encouraging, highly motivational. Um, you always feel better after you talk to him. You always feel um, like you're ready to take on the world, but he's extremely professional and, uh, extremely personable. And I think that combination is really unique. And so, um, having that opportunity to work with him really opened up some doors at Zoetis and uh, networking through, you know, the, the connections that I made in the industry there for a few years. And then uh, July of 2019, I got a phone call from Eric Ferens, who's the vice president of um, sales here at United Animal Health. And he had asked if I'd have any interest in um, a business director role within United Animal Health. And so July of 2019, I made the transition and uh, stepped into a leadership role here at United Animal Health. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I mean, like you said, it's all about the connections and, and, I mean, if one if something comes along that that looks better, I mean, you got to take it, especially if it's right for you, especially if you can, um, like you said, take a leadership position. I mean, I, I think you're a, as we've gone through this conversation, it, it's become quite aware that you're a natural leader. Uh, so it, it, it makes sense that you would seek out those roles, of course. 
Yeah. And, and that's not, you know, it, it's not something that I was probably seeking out at the time. I look back to my career and there's a lot of parallels to coaching teams and, and managing people. And uh, very fortunate that I've been given this opportunity to kind of do a lot of things that I was really passionate about. And, you know, I, I look back and I, I've always said, and I've told you this, that I was really passionate and, and my flame and my fire was, you know, um, competitive livestock judging. And, and that's still the case, but I think it's probably morphed more into a passion for people and a passion for animal agriculture. And those two things have led me on the career path that I am and to um, where I am today. And so I'm glad that there's a lot of parallels to a lot of things that I was doing on the coaching front and all the places that I've been um, kind of doing the same thing now in, in this role, a little bit different, but um, a, a lot of it is pretty similar. So tell us what you're doing now. You're the director of uh, U.S. Swine Business for United Animal Health. What does that entail? Yeah, so we've we've got a really unique organization here at United Animal Health. Um, obviously, a lot of it is hinged around um, animal nutrition. Um, we've got a swine platform. We've got a dairy platform and a poultry platform. Um, we've got a group of 22 sales reps on our swine side that really focus on um, nutrition. Um, and, and in nursery nutrition, probably more specifically, is probably our bread and butter. Um, but we also have a specialty side uh, focused on direct fed microbials. And so my role within United Animal Health is to, um, as director, is to lead one of those sales teams. Um, I manage basically the sales team west of the Mississippi River. I've got 10 people on my team. Um, and as of Monday, we'll have the addition of my 11th member um, starting on with this book. I've got uh, 10 people west side of the Mississippi River, and I've got one person in North Carolina that, uh, that I manage and work with. But a lot of my role and a lot of the, you know, the day-to-day -day things um, are really um, on the strategy front, implementing strategy, really working with our salespeople to develop a, a goal and a plan with our customer base and, and really look at our vision um, and, and our focus with what we do and try to implement that with our sales team, but more importantly, to be the conduit to our salespeople back to our upper leadership team to say, hey, this is what's going on in the field. Here are some things that are high priority. Maybe here's where we need to shift our focus and, and revert some of our attention. And so, yeah, that's a big part of my role. And then obviously getting to manage um, a sales team, recruit new new people in to be part of our sales team and uh, to coach and um, kind of work on performance monitoring of that sales team. And so, yeah, there's a coaching aspect to what I'm doing now. Yeah, no, there definitely is. And that probably made it an easy transition for you. Uh, where are, you said uh, sometimes you got to make decisions where your priorities lie uh, as, a, as a director and as managing these people. When, when we're going through crazy times like this where we might have another second lockdown, are you keeping that aware in terms of being a manager of 11 people or, or I don't even know how I, I I've never been in that role, so I can't even imagine it, but just being able to tell them, Hey guys, like this might come up, but here's where our priorities lie. Here's what we need to do. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm sure that comes down from uh corporate of course, but I mean, you are corporate at this point, right? Yeah, I am. And a lot of that, you know, comes from corporate. But, um, you know, one thing that I will say is, is 2020 has been a, a really unique year, as probably most of your listeners are aware. But I think what it's done is it's allowed us to think through how we do things and how we manage things maybe a little bit differently. And I say that is, you know, we've 
morphed into a virtual world here that I don't think was ultra familiar to a lot of people prior to, you know, March of this year. And uh, it's allowed us to be more collaborative. It's allowed us to communicate more. And so it, it's really opened up a lot of doors for us, um, you know, internally as a sales organization. And really what it's kind of allowed, you know, more what I call brainstorming sessions. And so, you know, what we do um, as we kind of have had lockdowns, you know, there's been certain restrictions where we, we haven't been able to meet in person uh, for meetings because of certain state guidelines, whether that be in Indiana with one of our meetings or in um, here in Iowa with uh, another one of our West team meetings. And so we've had to deal with those as those have came. And naturally, we've navigated more to the virtual world to do that. But what it's really kind of allowed us to do, Canon, is to be creative in what we do and allow more collaboration in the virtual space. So, you know, um, we, we wanted to make it fun. We didn't want our salespeople to feel like they were out on an island. So, you know, we implemented a, a Friday happy hour through COVID. Um, salespeople could come in, talk about what's going on in their world. And through a lot of that collaboration, we really learned a lot about ourselves. We learned about a lot about what was going on in the marketplace, maybe some things to continue, you know, to stop doing, maybe things to, to start doing, and maybe where we could provide more focus. And so um, it, it's no different, again, going back to our, our judging coaching days, or my judging coaching days, spending time in the classroom, brainstorming on different terms, you know, talking about ways to be creative, or maybe ways to be different. It's kind of a little bit different in this role, as uh, talking with salespeople of, of different things that are going on in the market, maybe things, you know, different lookouts and, and different ways to continue to allow them to experience success. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're a hundred percent right that, uh, in what you said, I mean, this, this time has brought so many people to think, okay, let's, uh, how different can we do things here? Cause this allows, this time allows for some experimental things in terms of, how you uh, interact with your customers, how you interact with your employees or employers. I mean, this this time has brought about a lot of experimentation for larger companies to try to figure out how to best handle their employees and the customers themselves. I, and I'm glad you told me what you guys have implemented, um, especially that kind of happy hour uh, Friday deal where they can kind of come in and and express what they've been what's been going on with them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's worked really well for us. Um, for other people, it might look a little different, but I think what this has done is allowed uh, different companies or different organizations to be creative. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised as we come out of this COVID situation to see more of an implementation, um, implementation, sorry, of uh, probably a different blend of, you know, work from home to go into the office, um, you know, allow people more flexibility within their work schedule. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we saw more of that because I think it's promoted a healthier work-life balance for a lot of people. And I think a lot of companies and a lot of organizations have naturally um, adapted with this change and have continued to experience success. And so, yeah, it's, it's fun to see this transformation. Yeah, I would agree with you. 100%. Well, Marcus, I think that's all I had for you. Did you have anything else by chance? No, no, I don't think so, Ken. And I, first of all, really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on and, and get just to visit with you. You know, it, it doesn't seem like a, an interview. It doesn't seem, you know, much more than anything than just getting to, to speak with someone that uh, is equally as passionate 
uh, with a lot of things and a lot of similar interests. And so, yeah, I really have enjoyed getting uh, getting to know you. Really excited uh, for your trip here coming up. Um, you know, when you make the trip up here to Iowa, look forward to getting to, to visit with you and hopefully seeing you here in a couple of weeks. But um, no, I don't know that I had anything else. I mean, you know, big takeaways that I think, you know, that we had talked about um, really kind of would be, you know, for maybe some of your listeners, whether they, you know, be younger, more college age type students or younger students that are looking to maybe go different routes is don't uh, don't be narrow minded. Don't don't close doors. Try to push yourself to, to really step outside your comfort zone, because that's where I think a lot of good things happen. Um, surround yourself with good people and um, network. And if you do those three things, I think you'll experience success no matter what you do. One hundred percent. I have to agree with you. Well, Marcus, yeah, I appreciate what you said, and 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 I, I think that's a good way, a good place to end it on too. So, thank you for taking time out of your day to spend uh, uh, BSing with me on the podcast. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, I mean, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, and we might get another podcast episode out of you. No, that's fine. Yep. <laughs> would uh, would love to do it. Only only if your your listeners enjoy it. Oh, if it's perfect. not something that if it's not something that they want, I, I don't want to press that on them. We'll see. We'll just have to see how many downvotes. <laughs> yeah, you we'll, get. we'll see. How, yeah, we'll have, we'll have to see how this goes. <laughs> yeah. All right, Marcus. Uh, thanks a lot, and I'll talk to you later. Hey, thanks, Cannon. I appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Time's limited, so you must listen carefully.